Hello, everybody, and welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Slamini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Well, we haven't talked in a while, not since the end of the season, so I'm going to catch you up on everything that's been going on with the Jets since then. Ready? Go. And that's it. It's been a really, really quiet few weeks for the Jets. This is probably the quiet, most quiet I can remember a January being. The only thing interesting that's happened, uh, you know, former Jet, the late Winston Hill, was uh, selected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He'll be inducted in uh, September, which was a great news for the Jets and a long overdue honor for the late Winston Hill, a member, of course, of that uh, Super Bowl three team. But other than that, no firings, no hirings, no arrests, just silence. That can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your perspective. I mean, you want to make some noise in January on the field, but, you know, the Jets have not been into the postseason in nine years. And, of course, you don't need me to remind you of that. So a quiet January for the Jets. And I'm looking forward to discussing all of these offseason issues with the always candid Bart Scott, the former Jets linebacker, will be with me in the second quarter. We have a podcast this week because we're looking ahead. Got the Senior Bowl on Saturday. We're we're into draft season right now, people. This is draft season. The mock drafts are already popping up all over the place. And in a month, you know, it'll be the scouting combine in Indianapolis. Free agency starts March 16th with the quote-unquote legal tampering period. March 18th is when open free agency starts. All the madness. So we are getting into it soon. And I just wanted to preview some of that stuff a little bit. You know, starting really right now on the college draft in the Senior Bowl. And uh, that's where, you know, the, the uh, NFL spent the last few days in Mobile, Alabama, evaluating the talent. And uh, this is really Joe Douglas, the Jets GM, his first offseason. He is the man of the hour. He's the man of the month, the man of the offseason. The Jets are really counting on him and his ability to evaluate talent, to infuse this roster, which is so desperately in need of talent. And, you know, Joe was at the East-West Shrine game recently. Uh, and I was in Florida, and his team of scouts just moved over to Mobile, Alabama, where they spent the week there. And do not underestimate the importance of the Senior Bowl. Uh, if you look at Joe Douglas's track record, when he was with the Eagles, he likes picking guys who play in the Senior Bowl. Let's look at his last three drafts with the Eagles. 2017, you know, he was in charge player personnel there. Daniel Pumphrey, Donnell Pumphrey, the running back, fourth-round pick. Uh, Third-round cornerback, Rasul Douglas, he was in the Senior Bowl that year. And even an undrafted running back, Corey Clement, who ended up being like a Cinderella story in their Super Bowl win. All those guys were at the 2017 Senior Bowl. In 2018, Dallas Goddard, the tight end, small school guy at a South Dakota State, developed into a nice tight end. He was at the Senior Bowl. Joe Douglas picked him for the Eagles. And then just last year, a tackle, Andre Dillard at a Washington State. He was at the Senior Bowl. And the Eagles actually traded up for him. They liked him so much. He has yet to become a starter, but I suspect he will this year. So Joe Douglas really puts some emphasis on the Senior Bowl. So if you happen to catch that game over the weekend, keep that in mind as you're watching some of these guys. And to me, a guy like a Josh Jones, an offensive tackle from Houston, who's a potential first-round pick, very athletic pass protector. You want to keep an eye on him. We know the Jets have a desperate need for offensive line help. Another guy, 
interesting background. The son of uh, Jets wide receivers coach Sean Jefferson, his son Van Jefferson is a wide receiver from Florida. He's an excellent route runner. He'll be in the Senior Bowl. Um, Terrell Lewis, outside linebacker from Alabama. Jets need edge play. He's a guy to keep an eye on. And Troy Pride Jr., a corner from Notre Dame. We know corner is an area of need from the Jets. You know, everyone assumes that the Jets are going to take an offensive lineman with the 11th pick. But, you know, don't assume that. You know, Joe Douglas is going to pick the best available player. He won't reach to fill a need. So if one of those receivers is there, either a Jerry Judy from Alabama or a C.D. Lamb, don't be shocked if the Jets go in that direction as well, because I think, personally, they're going to lose Robbie Anderson in free agency. So they will have a need for a number one receiver. So it's really so far out now to to predict what they're going to do with the draft. I mean, I do think they'll end up taking an offensive lineman, but I would not write that in pen just yet. So many variables right now. Uh, personally, I have not been to the Senior Bowl in many years, but... I just want to share my most vivid vivid memory there in Mobile happened in 1990. The Jets had a new GM, Dick Steinberg. So I kind of trailed him all week to write his stories. And I was a nice man. May he rest in peace. He ended up dying a few years later of cancer. But he let me sit with him in the bleachers as he watched the practices. And I took notes and watched him. He tried to offer some perspective on what he looks for as a talent evaluator. And I was working for Newsday at the time. And I found it really educational. And then on game day, I know some people might find this kind of weird. But on game day, actually, all the scouts and GMs, they clear out of town. They don't stay for the game, which you might find odd, but they actually get the game tape. They're more interested in the practices. But Dick Steinberg that year, every year actually, he always stayed for the game. He wanted that game day feel. So towards the end of the game uh, that year, I, I pulled up a seat next to him in the press box, started asking him some questions about his impressions on different players, including Blair Thomas, running back from Penn State who was named the MVP of the game, and I asked him his thoughts on Blair Thomas, and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, my grandmother could tell you he's the best player on the field. That's when I knew it was full-bloom love, to quote another New York GM, full-bloom love for Blair Thomas. And, of course, the Jets ended up picking him second overall in 1990. And hate to bring up bad memories, but that obviously did not work out too well from the Jets. But that's my one memory from the Senior Bowl, just talking to the GM in the press box. That sort of stuff doesn't happen anymore because there's very little access. But Senior Bowl, it counts. It counts a lot in Joe Douglas's world. And then he'll move on to the scouting combine in pro days. And before you know it, we'll be here for the draft. And this is really, really when it gets interesting. For Jets fans, stay tuned for the second quarter. And welcome to the second quarter. Our special guest this week is former Jet and a new member of the ESPN family, former Jet linebacker Bart Scott, who now has a new radio slot with ESPN with Alan Hahn in the one to three slot. So welcome, Bart Scott. Hey, we're finally on the same team. Yes. We do. You're on the good guys now. You're playing for the good guys. Well, it's great to have you, Bart. And I think you're really going to bring a lot to the ESPN just because of your knowledge of football, especially. And we're talking Jets here, and yeah. I know that's in your wheelhouse. And you know, I was I was on social media a few days ago, and I saw the clip with Sal Pal. It was the <laughs> nine year anniversary yeah. of the uh, of the can't wait 
interview after the Patriots win. Can you believe it's been nine years since that happened? I can't. I mean, I'm almost approaching the time out of the league that I spent in the league, 11 years. Wow. And it kind of brings things into perspective, just how quickly um, time flies. And, you know, when you're, in, when, you, when you're in it and you're playing, it's almost like you're living at, living at light speed. And, like, yeah. now things are slowing down because my daily life isn't as exciting as it is, of, you know, playing in front of 70,000 people. Yeah. But time still moves fast. And you see, you know, loved ones growing up and all that stuff. And sometimes when you have these reminders. You know, next year it'll be the 10-year anniversary, and then yeah. I'm really going to start feeling old. I still haven't had any grades yet, but I'm getting there. Well, you know, when I, I retweeted the, the uh, video on Twitter last week, and the, the Jet fans were like, um, that was the last good moment we've had as a, as a Jets fan. Because that, of course, c- came right, right after arguably their biggest win since yeah. Super Bowl three, beating the Patriots up yeah. there. You know, kick their butt in the divisional rounds. A lot of I work mean, to do. A lot of, uh, nine-year playoff drought. <laughs> Could you have ever imagined – back because the team seemed to be set up back then. I mean, if you if you look at it, Mark Sanchez came in his league in 2009. Right. And we're celebrating today Eli Manning retiring. You think about how much stability that organization has had for 16 years. This would only be Mark's 10th year in the league, and he didn't even last that long. Yeah. Um, that just kind of puts it in perspective, like how important it is to get it right. And I believe that the Jets have got it right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with the uh, mono this year, we really couldn't get a clear picture yeah. if Sam is the guy going forward. Next year is going to be a huge year. Joe Douglas having an opportunity to finally start to scope this football team. And if Adam Gase can really uh, t- get the team over the hump because it was unfair to really evaluate him as well because he didn't have a full complement right. of the players that he wanted and Mike McCagn and not really getting the players that he wanted. So, I mean, this year coming up is going to be a pivotal year. And this is the time and this is the time of year where teams are really um, – made as you start developing these draft boards and getting your free agency board ready. The Jets are are going to have to have a big offseason. You mentioned Joe Douglas. He comes from an organization he grew up in that you're very familiar with, the Baltimore Ravens with Ozzy and, and that whole crew. Uh, a great organization. What can you tell us? Uh, do you know Joe well? And w- knowing where he came from, what kind of football guy do you think he'll be? Well, I mean, he's a, he's a football lifer, man. He's a... a former offensive lineman, and to answer your question, do I know him, uh, he picked me up from the airport. So <laughs> he was the Turk. He was the guy that... I you know, knew he was told, the Turk. Yeah. He was the guy that told you to go get your playbook, but also, you know, he would pick the players up when we were coming in from out of town. Okay. And so, you know, I have a lot of experience with Joe, um, very fond of Joe, and I know that he was taught well. You know, you mentioned Ozzie Newsom, but you can add Eric DeCoss in there, Phil right. Savage, um, Dick Cass. You know, one thing that organization has always had is stability, and that's what I'm hoping that the that the Jets can have. Because when I go back to Baltimore, I, I walk through the offices, I you know go through the front door. Valerie's going to be right there. If I want some <laughs> eggs, Manny, the omelet man's going to be there. And that's what we haven't had, and that's why I think that it hasn't been uh, consistent winning. They have to get a team and stick to it. And, you know, a lot of people wanted to, you know, call for Gase's um, job after year one. I thought that was unfair, especially when you look up and we see what's happening in San Francisco right now. Right. You had two guys that were on the same team that have the same beliefs that decided to work together that actually called for each other. We're hoping, I'm hoping, that we can have that same type of synergy here in New York now that Joe Douglas was really hired at the – you know, the request of of Adam Gase. Right. So you're, you're in a little bit of a minority here. You're, it seems like you're pro-Adam Gase, am I, or you're just like, – the I jury's still out, Adam it's, Gase. It's still out. I'm yeah. not ready to make a, a, a rash decision so early. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we all know the documented that 
Um, he may or may not be a big fan of Le'Veon Bell. Um, I think Adam's going to have to be able to adjust. One thing I always hate when coaches get hired right after they get fired, it's hard to learn those lessons because you think, hey, somebody else wants me, so why do I need to change? Right. But he's going to have to adapt a little bit and understand that whatever he has, that's what we want to see featured. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, because you never know who's going to be your good player. The great coaches always devise their plan and their attack around the best players on their roster. And Le'Veon's one of the best players on this roster. Now, can they change that and go out and maybe get Amari Cooper? Mm-hmm. You know, can they go out and, and get a, uh, a Austin Hooper? Can they go out and get a Hunter Henry where maybe you can make an argument that, hey, these guys are just uh, as effective or good as Le'Veon Bell, so maybe he needs to share the love and we can build an offense that's built around everybody, not just one particular player. But right now it should be Le'Veon and everybody else. Yeah, so you, you're willing to give Gase another try with a full complement of players. We know their offense, especially the offensive line, get really riddled by injuries right. last year. So even though they finished 32nd in, in offense, you're not ready to say... Well, it was a, because because of those four or five weeks where Sam was ill right. when he came back. You can't tell me that he still wasn't feeling the effects of that, getting comfortable, worried about if his spleen was going to burst. You know, we're going to have an episode of Mash, you know, <laughs> in MetLife Stadium, right? But you know, so I, I'll give him a pat. Listen, it's a short lease. Yeah, I'm going to give. I'm giving like listen. I need to see something a little bit. early. I need to see something early, right? Um, and I need to see. This team respond. I, I'm, I'm excited to see what they're going to do. I don't believe that Quincy Anuwa makes it a pass as a physical. Right. We need to figure out what happens with the Kalechi Assimile um, drama and, and if they get money back that way. Tremaine Johnson has to go. He's gone. You know, I don't know if Jordan Jenkins – listen, I, I appreciate what Jordan Jenkins has done, mm-hmm. but come on, man. Like Those were that-a-boy type of sacks. Those weren't – Sacks where we, I felt like they were meaningful sacks. More, great. Co- more coverage. Right, type. more yeah. coverage, more, you know, if you rush the passer 500 times, a couple of those are going to be layups. And he, right. he got a couple of layups. Couple of layups. Um, but I think they definitely have to upgrade that position, and they can't afford to use some of that that that, that um, equity on a player that we kind of know what his ceiling is. Right. So if you were, put your GM hat on a second, oh, like one, one or two of the most the biggest priorities for Joe Douglas this offseason, things he must get done. Offensive line and defensive line. I mean, right. I understand that you, you want to have a corner, but you can hide corners and, and cover three, Tampa three, yeah. Tampa two type of systems, but you have to get an impact pass rusher. Not since John Abraham have we, have, have right. we had one, and we tried to manufacture pressure with Revis and Cromartie mm-hmm. because they can they can cover and be on an island, so we're able to add extra people to the to the pass rush. But you can't be successful with a steady dose of that. So I think um, really in free agency, because I don't think that they're going to go out and be able to find somebody in the draft. Um, they they're not close enough distance to get Chase Young. I'm sure it's going to be some other guys that are going to have high grades, but I want a proven guy. Um, give me R.J. Barrett. I mean, not R.J. Barrett. Um, Shaq. Give me, give me Shaq uh, Barrett. Oh yeah, Tampa. Yeah, give me Shaq Barrett or give me Dunkway. Yeah, you know, give me, give me one. How of those about uh, your guy from Baltimore, Matt Judon? You know, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I just he's good, but yeah. I don't know if he's elite like those guys. Yeah, I need somebody who can who can be at a level of a, one of the Bosa's. Or D Ford or Frank Clark. I need somebody that I can count on. He's a ascending player. He's a good player, but I don't think he's yeah. a great player. So I don't want to give a good player great money. I don't even want to spend money on that at one time. I mean, I think realistically, I, I still think that they should be out there trying to hire Bill Callahan. 
Yeah. I think I think you know somebody who can do less with more. We always talk about the guy up in New England. I think Bill Callahan is right there with him as far as being able to really teach offensive linemen how to play together as a unit. Um, I like maybe keeping keeping Beach and moving Beach him the right tackle. Mm-hmm. I will go out there and, and honestly ask if I can get Trent Williams and yeah. get, let him be the bridge for three years and go get my first. And I know it's not a sexy pick, but. I'm going to get the kid from Georgia if he's available. Andrew Thomas. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to get him, yeah. and then I'm going to let him be my right guard. Mm-hmm. I like I like him and Doga. Doga could be the right guard, left guard. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to get me a rookie left tackle, and I'm going to put him in at right guard or left guard for a year, like this. Yeah, for a couple of, and, yeah, yeah, and, and as as Trent Williams starts to usher his way out, mm-hmm. I'm moving right over here to left tackle. We see the same thing happen with Lionel Collins. In, in Dallas, right? They they make sure that they stock those left tackles because you'll never get one in free agency because they're yeah. never available. And if they are available, they turn out to be Nate Solder. Yeah, yeah. taking up a lot of money on your cap. Uh, Jonathan Ogden, he didn't play left tackle, right? He rookie. played guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, of course, he turns out to be one of the, the best ever at left tackle. But uh, yeah, I think they got to get the offensive line squared yeah. away because Sam Darnold. I mean, I like he, Jonathan Harrison. I like Jonathan. You like Jonathan. okay? I like him as an athlete. He's a guy that may struggle against guys and struggle to anchor, mm-hmm. but in that run scheme he's athletic enough to cut guys off. He's built yeah. in that pouncy type of mode. I, th- I feel if you have Beecham, Beecham is a good player. I think if he can play the right tackle side, he's not going to get a lot of money out in free yeah. agency. I think he'll be he'll be great. Uh, I may have to let Robbie Anderson walk or I'm going to give him that Quincy Anuwan money, right. anywhere from 9 to $10 million a year, and because the salary cap's going up, but he's still not my number one. I still have to go out yeah. and get a number one in free agency. Yeah, I mean they. Let's face it, they got a lot of things to, to yeah. that need to be addressed. Uh, but with Sam Darnold, if if they get this line squared away, what do you see as his upside? Uh, as you know, he'll be going into his third year. One, I'd just be happy to see him in the same system. I know early right. on he struggled, and it wasn't until he went into Adam Gase's office and said, "Look, this is what I'm comfortable doing," and mm-hmm. that was kind of like that aha moment. Why he had to go to Sam and not. Um, you know why Sam had to go to him and not him go to Sam? It's right. a whole nother story. Yeah, that was, that was a little weird. But whatever, they figured it out. Yeah. So I would hope that he can expand the package that he was comfortable with this year, be able to expand it because now he's going to be in the same system. So he'll be able to do the small things like make side adjustments, be able to know where his hot routes are, be able to fix the offensive line if Jonathan doesn't see something. He'll be able to be more in control. So I want to see him settle down. You know, he hopefully become in healthy and be able to lead this team. I'm curious to get your take on this. It's a defensive question. You, of course, were a linebacker. Um, I think you would have loved playing for a guy like Greg Williams. Well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, well, because, well, I did essentially. Uh, I mean, Rex, scheme, Rex and Patton. Patton that it's scheme. A, it's the same type of blitz and attacking yeah, scheme, like a one gapping attacking downfield. But, but but what I love about Greg is that he's a teacher, mm-hmm. and that's the problem. I think when you have a young roster, you can't have young coaches. You need to have guys that are great teachers. And that's something that you heard when Joe Judge came in that he was talking about guys who not going to talk about what you can't do. They're going to find out what you can do and build from there. And that's why I want to build Callahan here because, you know, I think that they need more people that can, you know, teachers on the, on the field. And I would really love. I think Callahan's going to Cleveland, by the way. I don't think that's been officially announced yeah, yet, that, but that's well, like well, the, that hurts, the, yeah, I've been ringing that bell. For I, a while. I, I agree with you. I mean, the, the old linemen like Damian Woody and those guys, they love the guy. Yeah, so, he's, he's a teacher and he, he has head coaching experience because I feel yeah. like we have to get somebody here to take, to, in my opinion, to take the play calling away from Adam Gase. 
because he's too close to it. I need my head coach to step back and be a leader of the entire team. I don't want somebody with their head buried. I mean, people want to give Andy Reid all the credit in the world for what the right. plays is called. I don't see no play sheet in Andy's hands. Right. And that's coming from Eric the Enemy. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I think that's one of those things. I don't see Bill Belichick now. He may be whispering something <laughs> right. or, or he may help control or, or develop the, the, the um, game plan, but I don't see him on game day with with something talking about you know whispering right. about call this play. I see OJ Mayo, uh, or yeah, I think his name is. Uh, I always said Gerard Mayo. Mayo always right. always yeah, mess up with the basketball yeah, player. Middle Gerard Gerard Mayo and his son, right? You know, kind of calling the defensive plays. Yeah. I'm sure he has influence, but I need I need my coach to be able to handle the situation because that week when they had I don't remember what week it was but when they were uh was Gafanski or something like that from yeah. Miami was going one on one with our lockdown linebacker that I've never heard of yeah. you know what I mean oh, I that was yeah, right. uh, yeah Burge. Burge. Gasicki. Gasicki, yeah, the tight end and, yeah, Burge, Burge. and Burge. I'm like come on when do we when do we get a lockdown linebacker yeah. I need my head coach to say you know what I appreciate what you're doing coach yeah. but I don't want to see my linebacker yeah. on him figure something else so you, out you want your head coach to be more of a CEO type and that's what and, he should be yeah but I don't know if you took very, the play calling away from him, I think he'd be a only, lost puppy on this. <laughs> well, only very few can do that. I mean, yeah. we saw Jason Garrett, you know, lose that, and he yeah. may, you know, pout. But all I know is that offense took the next step because mm-hmm. I need you to be able to be a leader of men, not a leader of of a particular unit. Hmm. Very interesting point. I do agree that he needs to be, be a better leader of men, yeah. uh, much like Greg Williams is with the defense. I don't think Adam has that hold on the offense that yeah, he needs to out have. Two more questions. One about a former teammate, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to ask you your Super Bowl prediction. So I'm sure you're aware of this. On, on social media, at the end of the NFC Championship game, Darrell Rebus kind of called out Sherman mm-hmm. for being a quote-unquote cover three corner. Yep. Darrell, we know, was the ultimate lockdown guy. What's your? You played with Darrell. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think of him, his timing about doing it, how much truth is to what the, he was saying on Twitter? And of course, Richard Sherman responds. Of They've been going at it for years, these two. Yeah, absolutely. It goes all the way back to 2012 when you know, Sherman came out and he the Legion of Boom, the height of the Legion of Boom. Right. You know, made itself to self-proclaim, you know, best corner in the league. And yeah. listen, there's different levels to this stuff. They, you, you can both be great at something, but we have to recognize and understand what's, what's the harder job, who's being asked to do more. Mm-hmm. And Sherman, for the most part, is asked to, you know, read the quarterback, play on top man, cover three, right. not travel, you know, play on one side of the field and, and, and really dominate from that. Right. And using his football acumen where Revis was on an island, no help. And acts to to do things that uh, only very few in the history of our game has been able to do. Yeah, I think you can add like Chant Bailey in there. You can add Charles Woodson early in his career in there. Rob Dion. Woodson maybe in there. Dion, Aeneas Williams, Daryl yeah. Green. Like that's that's a unique set. You know what I mean? Because we thought that Namdi Asma was one of those guys until he came to Philly and they asked him to travel, and he, he was out of the league <laughs> it, shortly it after. Didn't work. <laughs> right. Exactly. So I mean, it, it takes a lot to be able to. To, to, to say I'm going to take the challenge of erasing the best guy on the team yeah. and make him a non-factor. Revis did it for a long time at a at a high level, five or six years where he was the best in the business. Shermer is the Sherman is the best at what he does as far as the cover corner. I think you can put him up there with one of the best zone corners. You know, I think you can say Asante Samuels is up there. Right. Ty Law potentially is up there, Ty. but I think the best out of all of them was Rondé Barber. Yeah. 
I agree with everything you're saying uh, with Revis because I think Revis was great at what he did. I think they'll both end up in Canton someday. Yeah, yeah. but it'd be levels though. Like, yeah, yeah, Revis would be sitting up there at the top room with like the elite of the elite, right? And you know, just the same argument that we have about about Eli. Eli's going to be a Hall of Famer, but he's he he don't have all the all the access codes to all the different nuance uh, places in the Hall of Fame. He doesn't get into the VIP yeah, he, room. Oh, yeah, he not he not going to the red velvet room. Like, right. Sorry, like, this, yeah. no, 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 no. This he's only, like at the kids to, table for a while. You know, like, he has to work his way up to. Like, the, he's <laughs> out there with uh, Pluckett and all those dudes. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. R- Darrell was great. He'll be in. I think the first time he's eligible. Yeah. I just thought it's like why go like why bring it up on social media? That that was my only That's issue. That's a, gener- that's a generation we live in now. Yeah, you know, um, Shermer lives on social media. So yeah, he does that's, too. So that's where you get it at. Right? Yeah. So like, and he took his shot when Revis was vulnerable, maybe. Yeah. And this was Revis' opportunity to take a shot back. Yeah. And last, who do you like in this game? Uh, you know, Chiefs uh, Niners, great matchup. Yeah. This is this who is, is Bart t- Scott picking here. This is a tough one, but I think that Kansas City, the distance between Kansas City's offense is greater than. The San Francisco's defense against, you know, I mean, they both got great units, but, you know, of course you have to give the defensive edge to the 49ers. You have to give the offensive edge to the Kansas City Chiefs. But I think that the Kansas City Chiefs has a greater chance to dominate that defense than that defense has to, you know, the, the San Francisco defense has to dominate like the, the time of possession right. and all the things. Um, that run game makes it interesting though, but we, we've seen that Kansas City doesn't mind being down because they can score so fast. Yeah. And with that four man rush and being in a, in a, in a predictable defense against a guy like Mahomes where it's yeah. not mixing everything up, it's going to be, um, an interesting chess match and you're giving Andy Reid two weeks. And we've seen Kyle Shanahan come out in the Super Bowl and dominate Bill Belichick. Yeah, for for until it was twenty eight to three. Yeah, until it was twenty eight three, and yeah. then and then you know then the yeah. bottom fell out because yeah. he got too cute. Yeah, you know. But you want to think that maybe Kyle has learned some lessons from that. Yeah. I think after you know if he makes a big play and all he has to do is run the ball to kick a field goal to yeah. secure it, yeah. he'll do that. Yeah, it's a great matchup. I mean, like you said, San Francisco's defense, they're going to rush four and play a lot of zone behind yeah, it. Yeah, like they play zone 65% of the yeah. time, I believe. Yeah. And Mahomes is like the best against the zone and Travis Kelsey will eat that zone up. Yeah. And, you know, they get the ball off so fast, you know, can those great four rushers be effective? Because when you're rushing four, you still have an extra guy to help somebody. Yeah. I agree with you. I just think Mahomes is playing at a different level right yeah. now. I mean, we haven't really seen a guy. They're like in their, they're in their window because yeah. he's going to probably be the first forty million dollar yeah. guy. Oh yeah, and that's coming pretty soon. And then he's going to have one year before we have to start extracting some of those pieces where maybe you lose a Sammy Watkins and you're there with Harmon and you're not going to have as good of players because yeah. you're taking so much of the uh, pot. Yeah, yeah, that forty million is coming. He is eligible for a new contract now, so. That is coming. Well, Bart Scott, thank you so much for stopping by. I wish you the best of luck in your new gig. We see you uh, on all the different ESPN platforms, radio, TV. Keep up the good work, and I really appreciate it. It's good to be on the team. And welcome back. This is the third quarter. We're opening up the Twitter mailbag, firing away with these Jets questions. And the first one is from at Big Dogs. 1318. When looking at players in the draft and scheme fits, what type of offensive lineman is Gase going to want? Is this a West Coast zone blocking scheme or something different? 
there are many different linemen out there. So should the Jets, what should the Jets be looking at? Uh, athletic type guys or powerful players? Well, this is uh, a very scheme specific question, obviously, uh, big dogs. And it's hard to say because last year the Jets run a combination of zone and man, which is called gap blocking. They ran both. And a lot of it depended on what kind of offensive line they were starting. As you know, they started nine different offensive lines and Gase had to adapt his schemes based on the personnel. Some weeks they used more gap blocking. Some weeks it was more zone. But the big advantage they're going to have is Joe Douglas has been on the job since June. So it's not like he just landed in Florham Park and is doing all this evaluation. He's had plenty of time to meet with the coaches, watch the team and evaluate to get on the same page with Gase so he knows exactly what to look for in the draft. That's one of the advantages of hiring a GM so late in the process. They'll be better prepared for the draft. So honestly, right now, I don't know which way they're going to go because they used a little bit of both last season. Next one from at E-E-P-T-R. What's the story with Woody and Chris Johnson? Does Woody's eventual return remove Chris from the equation? Will Woody have different ideas with the GM and head coach and team direction? And what would that mean for people like Gase, Douglas, and Sam Darnold? Well, Woody is coming back at some point. He will resume his position as the owner of the team. But Christopher Johnson is not going anywhere. From what I'm told, he's going to still have a very prominent place in the team hierarchy. He loves this job despite the losing. He wants to stay in a high-profile position and uh, actually a high position. I don't think he loves the high-profile part of it. He's kind of a private guy away from the spotlight. But he's going to – he and Woody are going to be both running the team when Woody comes back. But we all know Woody has the final say because he is the owner. And next one is uh, something about the offense. Question from at sports underscore FI3ND. Why hasn't there been any changes on the offensive side after having the 32nd ranked offense in the league? Even with the injuries, we should have had better schemes and preparation as a team for each opponent after Darnold came back. Hey, great point, sports. I mean, the Jets were last in the league, and I looked this up. That's only the second time they finished last in offense in the last 49 years. And we've covered a lot of bad offenses over the years, and so that's kind of a really you know ignominious distinction there. You don't want that. I honestly thought they would change offensive line coaches. I don't think Frank Pollock did a great job. I'm not sure he and Darnell, uh, he and Adam Gase were a scheme fit. But they have not made any changes. Uh, as I wrote about a week ago, they wouldn't make any changes for coordinators. Now, there's still a chance they could, you know, shuffle a position coach or two. But at this stage of the game, I, I think they're going to stay status quo, which really kind of surprised me. Next one from actually another one from sports uh, at sports underscore FI three ND. He had two good questions. So I wanted to make sure I got him in. Do you think. Uh, do you have any insights on how Joe Douglas handles his draft preparation? How do you think he should approach the process for making his decision on what type of prospects he wants for the green and white? Well, I do know this. He comes from two organizations, the Eagles and Ravens, that really have a collaborative approach. They involve everyone, the scouts, the coaches, and Joe Douglas is going to take the same approach. He's, he's on record as saying that. Now, he does have the final decision contractually he's in control of the 53-man roster 
Uh, he makes the decisions on draft picks, free agency. This is not an Adam Gase production on paper. Now, Gase had that power in Miami. He was in control of the roster, so much so that last year, or actually two years ago, when they drafted Minka Fitzpatrick, was a controversial pick. Actually, um, Stephen Ross, the owner, did not want to draft Minka. He wanted to go somewhere else, and Adam really stuck to his guns, and he took Minka Fitzpatrick, which I don't think really went over well with ownership, but that's how much power had Gase had in Miami. He does not have that power here. It is Joe Douglas, but I think he will involve the people around him. Next one from at Vora, V-O-H-R-A underscore at O. What do you think the Jets, who do you think the Jets will target in free agency? Free agency is right around the corner. It'll start in mid-March. The names to watch, I think you're going to have to watch guys from the Ravens and Eagles just because of the Jets' connections there. But the three offensive linemen, the three big names to watch are Joe Thune from the Patriots, Brandon Scherf from the Redskins, and Jack Conklin, the tackle from the Titans. They are all poised to hit free agency. I think all three will hit the open market. If it were up to me, I would go after Joe Thune, the left guard from New England. Four years Hasn't missed a game. Very durable, highly productive as a guard. Plug him in at left guard, and you don't have to worry about that position for the next eight years. So I would take Thune, but uh, I, I think also names to watch. Matt Judon, the outside linebacker from the Ravens. He's going to make a fortune. He's coming off a big year. Jets uh, have some Raven ties with Joe Douglas and Chad Alexander, their personnel director. So I think keep an eye on him. He's going to be very pricey, though. I don't know if the Jets are going to want to make that kind of splurge. In fact, don't be surprised that the Jets don't go for the big splurge and the big name like they did last year. I think Joe Douglas will be a little bit more frugal, a little bit more methodical in his approach to free agency, which I think is a smart way to go. All right. We got another one from at Moffitt on the mic. Would you be surprised if the Jets trade Jamal Adams? Before or during the draft, he could get them a ton of picks and maybe some players. Yes, Moffitt, I would be surprised. I know there was a lot of speculation at the trading deadline, and I do think the Jets would pick up the phone and listen if someone called and made an inquiry, but I'd be surprised if they moved Jamal Adams. I think they really want to make him part of their future, unless his contract demands And we all know he's probably going to look for a new contract. Unless his demands are just so outrageous and unreasonable, I can't see the Jets putting up up for auction. Reportedly, they were looking for a one and two twos at the trading deadline. I think they'd pause and think about it if they got an offer like that. But my gut tells me uh, that he'll be on the team next year. And our last question uh, comes from at James AS 519-95487. So the question is, there's a lot of negativity surrounding Adam Gase heading into the offseason. How will that impact on Joe Douglas's ability to recruit free agents? Uh, you know, ultimately, it comes down to the money. Money is the bottom line in free agency. However, your question that you just posed was posed to me by a couple of players in the Jets locker room during the season. So I think... You know, Douglas is not exactly universally beloved in his own locker room. And I think even some of the Jets' own players have some reservations about that and wondering whether teams will shy away from the Jets because of Gase's reputation. So it is a fair and valid question. But like I said, it usually comes down to money. But 
If they get into a bidding war and things are close, that could be a deciding factor, unfortunately. That's the end of the third quarter. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl here. You know, we got the Super Bowl coming up. We got Kansas City and San Francisco, and I will make a prediction in a minute, but I just wanted to take you guys on the inside and really what it's like to cover a Super Bowl. I've covered 26 Super Bowls. I won't be at this year's game in Miami, but having done 26 of them, I think I have a pretty good feel for what it's like. It's not as glamorous you as you might think. I mean, these are long days. The reporters who cover these games, they're up at 6 a.m. every day. They're on a bus to a media hotel where they're interviewing players along with 2,000 other reporters. And then they get shipped to another hotel for the other team. So you're on buses. The days are long. And you got competing with 2,000 other reporters. Everyone's interviewing the same players and coaches. And basically, you're writing the same stories. So what I always tried to do when I covered a Super Bowl was to go outside the box a little bit and try to do stories that were a little against the grain. Now, sometimes you, you do that. You have a plan and you try to execute it. But sometimes you just get lucky. Now, here's a couple of examples on how I just walked in to totally lucked into a couple of good stories. You all remember uh, going back to uh, 2009, it was Super Bowl 43. It was the Steelers over the Cardinals on that great end zone catch by Santonio Holmes. You know, such a, you know, acrobatic catch in the back of the end zone. So I woke up Monday morning really early and I'm thinking to myself, you know, man, it would be great if I could get someone like a, a wide receiver or someone, an expert to talk about Holmes' great catch and compare it to some of the great catches in history. So as I'm walking through the lobby, thinking this to myself, the lobby of the hotel, it was in Tampa at the time, I walk out to the valet at the curb to get my car and... I was on my way to a press conference, and who's standing waiting for his car but Lynn Swan, the Hall of Fame wide receiver from the Steelers, who, of course, we know made some incredible Super Bowl catches. So I went up to him, introduced myself, had my tape recorder, interviewed Lynn Swan at the curb of the valet for a few minutes, and he was fantastic, talking about his catches against Antonio's catches, and it made for a really, really cool story the next day in the Daily News. I was working for the Daily News at the time, and, you know, totally lucked into that story. The previous year, Super Bowl Forty Two, Giants beat the Patriots. It was out in Arizona, the, you know, the game with the Eli and the, the David Tyree, the helmet catch. So it's Tuesday morning. I'm, I'm going home. I'm in the security line at the Phoenix airport and about 10 guys behind me on the uh, security line, which is pretty long at that point, was Archie Manning, Eli's dad, of course. And Archie hadn't talked after the game. He was keeping a really low profile, hadn't done any media interviews. So I waited him out after I got through security and I went up to him, introduced myself. But we had met once years and years before. He was so gracious. And I walked with him to his gate and asked him about Eli and what it was like at the victory party afterwards. And at that point, the year before, Peyton had won the MVP. Now Eli wins the MVP. So I'm talking to the father of the two previous Super Bowl MVPs. And I asked him about that. And Archie was just so choked up with emotion. He was starting to tear up a little bit about, you know, how blessed he was. And again, didn't plan that story. Total luck. 
And sometimes that happens in the Super Bowl. You get a little bit lucky. And those are two of the more memorable stories I did that I thought were a little bit outside the box. And again, not not because I planned ahead, just because I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. So let's talk about this year's Super Bowl. Um, you know, this is such an intriguing matchup. You have a great defense in San Francisco. You know, you have a great running team in San Francisco, the great passing team in Kansas City. Mahomes is just playing out of his mind right now. And I, here's an interesting nugget. I didn't even know this. This is the first time in Super Bowl history that you have two tight ends, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. The two tight ends both have over a thousand yards in the regular season. I, I would have thought that would have happened already, but it hasn't. So this is a really tough game to call. The spread is about Kansas City by a point. Last I checked, I'm going with Kansas City here, and here's why. I mean, it is a re- – and I know, you know, defense, they say, wins championships, and I'm fully aware that their front four in San Francisco is really dynamic. And I'm thinking like the Giants Super Bowls when they beat Tom Brady, how that pass rush really disrupted Brady. And, yeah, San Francisco has the ability to do that with Kansas City, but the X factor is Mahomes' mobility. He can get outside the pocket. In fact, here's a stat for you. Over the last two seasons, he's thrown 24 touchdown passes outside the pocket. That is by far the most in the NFL. And it just so happens that the 49ers, for all their defensive prowess, they do struggle against quarterbacks with speed and mobility. So I think that will be the wild card in this game. Mahomes' ability to get outside the pocket, improvise, make plays, even run the ball himself. We saw that, of course, in that great play against the Titans in the AFC Championship game. So because of that, I'm going to give the edge to Kansas City. I'm going with Chiefs 31, 49ers 28 going to be a close game. They've played close game. Neither one of these teams had a bad game all year. No, I know San Francisco lost to Atlanta, which was kind of a weird one late in the year, but neither one of these teams has lost a game by more than one possession, which is mind-boggling. So they'll both play well, but Mahomes is the difference. 31-8, 31-28, Chiefs. I'm just hoping for a great game. And thanks for stopping in this week. We'll try to keep you abreast of Jet Goings on throughout this off season. We'll pop on with a, an occasional flight deck as we move closer to the draft and free agency. I want to thank my producer Jeff Scopin for putting all this together, and we'll catch you next time on the flight deck. <laughs>